So if you have a Bible, open to 1 Corinthians 14. We're continuing in this book in Corinthians. And Corinthians is a letter to a church with problems. So what problems will we encounter this week? We're in chapter 14, verse 26. We're going to work through this passage. Uh, let me just read this first verse here and, and before we hit pause. What then, brothers or sisters and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation. Okay, let's, let's just stop right here. That sounds like a great thing, right? When you guys come together, God has put something on all of your hearts. That's a great thing. But he's saying, as we reflect on last week, Brian Dermody, remember he got up here and started speaking in Greek? And we're like, yeah, that doesn't mean anything, right? That's what happens when uh, you're just speaking things that aren't intelligible. And in this case, he's contrasting the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And he's saying, when someone speaks in tongues, it's unintelligible, and therefore it doesn't really benefit everyone. Now, he moves it from whether it's intelligible to he wants order in the church. And so the example is this. God has put something like your favorite song on your heart and you come into church and you're like, man, I really hope they sing this song this morning. And if, I, if the worship leader stands up, Dalton says, hey guys, great news this morning. God has put something on all of your hearts. And on the count of three, we're just gonna stand up and everyone sing your song. That would just be mass chaos, right? It would be terrible, Nobody would be able to understand anything. That's what he's saying here. Great that God has put something on your heart, but he says, verse 26 at the end, but everything, everything that we do in church is to be done for the building up, for the building up. Now this word building up, or some of your, your translations say edification, it's, it's this, this Greek word uh, oikodomi, which is Oikos is like house or household, and dome is like the dome, like an architectural feature, right? And it's this word for house building. That's what we are. We are house builders. The point of everything that we do when it comes to church, think what we're trying to do is build a house. Every single person is a fixer-upper, right? And we're trying to come in and build you up, to grow you up into Christ, to become more like Jesus. And a requirement for becoming more like Jesus is you have to understand the truth of God's word and be able to go live it out. So we want to do that. Everything that we do, we want to build up. So if you're taking notes, big idea is simply this. Every Christian is called. You have a calling on your life. And you are called to be a house builder. When you look around and you see people that need to be encouraged, built up, here's the problem. In Corinth, everyone came to church to be like a self-builder, right? I'm building my own house. I'm building my... They come in with their ego. They come into the room with the need to matter. Like, I need people to see me. I need people to hear the song that I've put on my heart. I need to share my hymn. I need to pray my prayer. I need to, and Paul's saying, that's great, but it's going to lead to chaos and division and ultimately isolation from Christ and his church if everyone does their own thing at the expense of others. So the first point is this, 
there's going to be four points as we go through this passage. House builders, number one, house builders are others focused. House builders are others focused. What illustrates selfishness better than a bunch of self-absorbed teenagers in one room? Okay, I'm going to show you guys a video. They actually caught this on camera. Now, before we play this video, um, our youth pastor had been trying to convince the youth group uh, that we were being selfish, that we were being self-focused, and was saying, guys, when you come together, you just huddle up and you're just focused on yourselves. And there's people that come in and they just walk out and no one talks to them. And I mean, for years, guys, reach out, reach out, reach out. Don't be self-focused. We're like, that's not true. We are a loving group. And so he got so fed up. He's like, okay, fine. He filmed us one week. What you're about to see is not staged. It's not actors. It's just my youth pastor that set up a camera and caught our self-absorbed egos on camera. Let's roll the video. This kid walks into youth group. We actually shortened the video, but there's a part where he, he walks into the church youth group, walking around. If you're listening online, it's just a crowded room, teenagers, and this kid walking by himself. Will somebody talk to me? Leaves the room. Uh, I think I'll try it again one more time. See if anyone will talk to me. Look, everyone's having such a great time. Look, they're in their circles talking. There's my youth pastor waving at the camera. Yep, told you. He's having a great told you so moment. Oh, this guy's even got a newspaper. You can't make this stuff up. There he goes. Round three or four now through the room. We finally just had to cut the video short. It, it goes on. And in this next clip, you'll see they move into the large group. Everyone grabs a seat. Announcements. Here he's sitting alone. Now we break into groups to pray for this outreach event coming up this week. Look, everyone's huddled up in their groups while he sits by himself. That's what happens when we come into a room and focus on ourselves. And I don't know about you guys, but I just, I found that sometimes, this is kind of one of the great ironies in this, is that the people with the best things to say are often the last ones to speak. Or maybe the person who has the most to offer is that introvert who was like, finally got the courage to go, and they had so much to give. But there was nobody to just draw them out and nobody could even see them. 
because they were so self-absorbed. Now, in this case, this kid went on to become one of the most famous movie producers of revenge fantasy. You guys know him as Quentin Tarantino. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> that didn't happen. I have no idea who this kid is or where he went. But, um, I'm sure he went on to do great things, right? I couldn't help it, uh, those films. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That is a picture of being self-absorbed. And that's the problem that Paul is addressing as we continue. If you can recover with me, let's move on to verse 27. So he goes on, he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. So this is a picture of chaos, like people are speaking in tongues. This is, as Brian talked about last week, either other languages that people can't understand as we see in the book of Acts, or is it this, this private sort of prayer language, uh, but either, we don't know exactly what it is, but either way, it's unintelligible and people are speaking at the same time. He's like, hey, only two at most three, and if you do it, there needs to be an interpreter. So he's addressing the heart behind this, like, hey, I don't care if you guys understand me, like, me and God are having an experience this morning. And I think in our American culture, we even kind of encourage this, like, hey, everyone just sing your own song, do your own thing. This is about you and Jesus. Well, there's some truth to that, but actually, it's about us and Jesus. Like, for you and Jesus to have an encounter, it needs to be understandable. Like, don't do that at the expense of the people around you. Great that you are having this euphoric experience in worship, but don't let that take away from the people around you. Okay, so worship is powerful, isn't it? It's, it's emotional. It engages our emotions, which is great. But the second point here is that house builders care more about communicating truth to others than getting their own spiritual high. Spiritual high is great, right? I want to encounter God in worship. I just don't want to do it at your expense. So when I was leading college ministry, um, we had a number of our students that visited another church in another town where they practiced uh, tongues, uh, spontaneous worship, everyone pray at the same time. And in this church, uh, a bunch of our students were going and they're like, they came back and they said, Mark, our church is not filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was like, really? And they said, yeah, we go to this other church and you should experience the worship. People are singing at whatever they want. I mean, it's, people are overcome by the Holy Spirit to the point where they're falling over in the aisles. People are down in front, like passed out. It's amazing. And they're doing like all night prayer gatherings. They're 24 seven prayer. They're praying, they're prophesying, they're speaking in tongues. And our church is not filled with the Holy Spirit like that church. They're overpowered by the Spirit of God. But how would Paul talk to them about that experience? And I think he would say, hey, the Spirit 
doesn't possess you to the point where you lose control of yourself. Remember, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And so the goal is order, not chaos. Intelligible, not emotional frenzy, right? Now, we want you to encounter God in our services to the point where your emotions are engaged, right? We want you to be moved in worship. And some of you might be saying, well, what if the Holy Spirit moves me and I want to speak in tongues or I want to express myself in certain ways? And I would say Paul's counsel to you might be in verse 28. He says, hey, if there's no interpreter and it's, it's not the right place, you know, two or three at the most, uh, he says, be silent and I would say direct your praise and your prayer to God. Like that's still good if you encounter God in that way and you're moved, but maybe do it in a way that won't take away from the worship of the people around you. Look at verse 29, he says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Okay, let me explain prophecy because uh, Brian did talk about it last week and explained it. I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but I get weirded out by this. I'm like, well, I don't know. This is weird because prophecy I equate with like crystal ball, maybe something from a fortune cookie, like something's gonna happen to you this week. And, you know, I think of it as, as predicting the future. And I think Paul's description of prophecy is not so much thus saith the Lord, like, I'm not Moses, I'm not Jeremiah, I'm not Ezekiel. I could never do that gift. No, look at how he describes it. Verse 31, it's a gift that's used so that everyone may learn and be encouraged. Can you speak some words of truth in a way that could encourage somebody? Then I think you could prophesy. And actually, I think that we do this a lot in our church. We just don't call it this. Bringing God's word, connecting God's truth to an individual in a way that is very specific and builds them up in their faith. I think we can do this. It's simply a ministry of encouragement. Well, Paul knows that people are fallible. Since I'm not Jesus Christ, not everything that I say is 100% true, right? And that's why in verse 29, he says, evaluate what those prophets are saying. The others should evaluate. And the others, in verse 32, he says, the prophets' spirits are subject to the prophets. Okay, this idea of evaluating this group of people that are going to hear what's being said and evaluate what is spoken, they are filtering it through God's word. And it's a group of people, he says, they're prophets in the church. This is likely a leadership position. In Veritas, this kind of looks like elders who lead the church and protect doctrine. And you might have a connection group leader that 
we might have a connection group leader that comes to us and says, hey, someone threw that, this out in group this week and we weren't sure how to deal with it. Like, what should we do? I think that's maybe our version of the spirit of the prophets, subject to the prophets. There's a group of leaders that are sort of filtering what's being said through God's word. So this is the third point if you're taking notes. House builders submit what they say and evaluate what they hear. House builders submit what they say and evaluate what they hear. My tendency, our tendency, is to go off on these personal rants, right? We just kind of start talking, and sometimes what we say is not totally true and, and doesn't maybe resonate with God's word, and we need leaders to help us, mature believers, to kind of sort of guard what we're saying and believing. So here's an example. Suppose someone said, shares in your group that they're going through a hard time in their marriage and somebody else starts prophesying. We'll say prophesying. They start talking to this person and they start trying to speak truth into this person's life. And what they say is, hey girl, you need to do you. And what you need to do is get out of this marriage. This marriage is hard. I've seen you struggle in this marriage for years. This person's not meeting your emotional needs. And in fact, all your desires... Nobody can tell you who to love. You just need to do you. So I say get out. And everyone else in the group is like, I don't know if this, yeah, it's a difficult marriage. We all have tough marriages at times. And I don't know if this warrants divorce. And they're, they're sort of processing, but this person came in strong with the you do you. And you're just like, hmm. I don't know if that sounds like the voice of God. So what you do is you evaluate it. You pass judgment, Paul says. That's the word for evaluate. You pass judgment on what they say. Now, we live in a culture where it doesn't feel loving to disagree. But when somebody throws that out there, we need to evaluate what we hear. We're constantly being bombarded with news feeds and podcasts and sermons and opinions that we need to filter what we hear through the truth of God's word. First Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22 says it this way. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. That person that said that in connection group, like they were trying to be a house builder. They were trying to encourage. The motives were good, but what they said, was it the voice of God? Well, that's where we need to evaluate and sift through what we hear. And you know how we do that? We need to be a people who know God's word so that we know what God's voice sounds like. Now, here's an example from my life. I know what my wife's voice sounds like. So this week, she said, hey, Mark, on your way home, could you grab some bread and eggs? And I'm like, sure, that's easy enough. I go into the grocery store, and you know what happens, right? I'm like, I don't even need a cart. 
I'm just going to grab the bread and eggs. Problem is, I go down and I'm looking at the cereal aisle, you know, and I just see a wall of just goodness. I mean, fruity pebbles, Cap'n Crunch, you know, and I hear my wife's voice, my wife's voice, it's almost audible. It's like, Mark, as I'm staring at this wall of sugar, she's like, no, Mark, we don't, we don't consume that in our house. And I'm like, yes, but we need this. I'm like, I'm speaking to my wife. She's talking. I can hear her voice, but she's not there. And so I grab, pretty soon I'm like, I need a grocery cart because there's crackers and there's cheese, there's ice cream, there's all this stuff that I need. And I come home and I bring it and she's like, what were you doing? I'm like, I'm sorry. It's like, it's like she was with me because I know her voice. And so it is with God. He speaks to us and we know what his voice sounds like because we're people of his word. And so you might say this idea of hold on to what is good, stay away from every evil, evaluate what you hear. It's kind of like eating chicken and spitting out the bones, right? Kids eat chicken nuggets and they can just eat anything and it's safe, right? Have you ever eaten something and you thought there was no bones in it? All of a sudden you're like choking on something. Like that's kind of like sometimes in my preaching, you know, you're like, oh, this is boneless. And you're like, wait, that doesn't resonate with me, right? Uh, you have to evaluate everything. Like there's some stuff in here you're probably gonna wanna spit out later, right? Um, but just evaluate what you are hearing, filter it through God's word. That's what we're called to do here. Now, for myself and our church, I feel that maybe something that we might struggle with is over-filtering, and we get hypersensitive to everything. And even as Jeff was saying, hey, that Easter book, and some of you are like, what was it? I'm definitely going to read it now. I want to know what. You guys, I mean, I was reading it to my family, and I texted Jeff. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) What is it? how do we feel about this? And, and, you know, I think that my fear for me is I can get like over, um, I become like a discernment blogger, you know, like that's wrong. Everything's wrong. You know, that's a hard, we're like on a hunt for false teaching and, and we get hyper judgmental and critical. And I think we have to be so careful about this. And I got a text this week from a brother in our church Jeff and I did a little podcast on, called The Roundtable, and we were talking about the book and just processing that whole thing that he shared earlier. But he said, he was, uh, this brother was texting me, he said, thanks for, um, thanks for the podcast. He said, I read that first reading in the book last Sunday afternoon, and I processed it for a bit before deciding, I guess I need to keep an open mind to another's perspective and their right to have it. I loved that attitude. Is hey, yeah, I need to sift through this. There's some gold in here. There's some stuff I need to discard. But part of being a mature Christian is not just like casting out everything. Like, well, then fine. They said one little thing that I don't agree with. I'm canceling them. That's not what we do, church. We can love these. And it's just like, oh yeah, I don't know what I think about that, but I could see maybe their perspective. Blah, blah, you know what I mean? 
He goes on. Okay, before I read this, I just feel like it needs a disclaimer. Hold on to your chairs, all right? As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originate from you? Or did it come to you only? Wait, what? (laughs) What did we just read? Is that here in the Bible? Um, Okay, here's what's fascinating about this. In chapter 11, Paul has just said that women should be praying and prophesying in the church. So the women clearly have a very vital, important role in the church. So why would he seemingly contradict himself here? Well, it's hard to reconstruct exactly what the problem is that he's addressing because we're not there. We don't know what the problem is exactly. But think about it. He's saying um, he's just gotten done talking about how the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I think that what he's saying is there are divisive women in the church who are silencing their husbands and are being domineering, going for these leadership positions of profit in the church. And maybe there's some false teaching involved. Maybe there's some, but it's disrupting the church in a way that people are just talking and no, he's, he's wrong. And who knows exactly what this looks like, but there's something connected to the roles of men and women in the church and this sort of divisiveness that is destroying the church. And so for that, I would just say, we, we need to give a lot of grace on this. Um, I, I don't think he's saying women should be silent as in never talk in church, because in chapter 11, he just said they should be prophesying, praying, so hard to reconstruct. But if you have questions, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, we talked about men's, women's roles and the differences and distinction of roles, but let's give ourselves a lot of grace on this. We don't know exactly what he's saying and what the application is on that point, but he goes on in verse 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. The last point is that house builders don't inhibit others through guilt or control. House builders don't inhibit others through guilt or control. Uh, Do you remember what the students were doing when they came back from that church? Uh, they were throwing down a guilt trip on me that, well, we're not filled with the Holy Spirit because we're not doing this. Like, house builders don't guilt trip people and say, well, the reason that you're not raising your hands in worship, the reason that you're not encountering God in worship is because you don't have faith. You must not be a real Christian if you're not having these euphoric spiritual experiences, if you're not speaking in tongues, if you're not doing this, if you're not doing that. And Paul says, no, no, no. But also also on the other hand, he says, in our zeal to shepherd the church, 
and maybe in our zeal for order and intelligible services, we might go to the other ditch of control, which would also be divisive for someone who has the gift of tongues or prophecy or whatever. We might shut them down and forbid that and say, well, you, you're not allowed as a Christian to do this stuff and actually forbid you from obeying 1 Corinthians 14.1, which says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We want to avoid those ditches of guilt and control, but we want to move into encouraging each other to pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit that will build each other up. So the big idea applied this morning is simply this. Be a house builder. Pursue a ministry of encouragement. Pursue a ministry of encouragement. In verse three, that's how this whole chapter began where he says, speak for the strengthening, encouragement, and consolation of each other. Ephesians 4.29, this is a great verse, parents to teach your kids. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's who we are. We are people who look around and see people that need to be built up and encouraged in their faith. That's our calling. One way to practically start pursuing these gifts is to ask the Lord to speak to you and pursue these gifts. Say, Lord, I want to be a house builder. I want to be somebody who builds people up with my words. So give me insight into how I can meet the needs of the people around me. And then, step number two, when God brings someone to mind, talk to them. Or if you're in a situation, be bold and share it. Because you might be thinking, I don't know if I should say this in connection group. This might be weird. It might be whatever. Well, let them decide, okay? Share what's on your heart to encourage. And it it might start with something like this. Hey, you know what I love about you? Or you know how I see God at work in your life? You know, one thing about your life that encourages me is dot, dot, dot. I think this is also good with people who don't know Jesus. Maybe it's that most difficult person in your office or in the lab or roommate or on that Zoom call Maybe you can encourage them and say, you know, I mean, they're made in God's image. Something you see in them. This happened this week for me at at basketball. First time back in a year. So now I can start getting basketball illustrations back in my sermons. Uh, You're just like, it's been a while. Uh, We were begging for more, you know, of your examples from the gym. And this week I talked to this guy. He was, he had his son there and I watched him between games, like teaching his son how to shoot the ball. And I'm I just texted him afterwards. I'm like, that is so cool how you just are so patient and interact with your son. I'm like, well done as a dad. We don't get it all right, but that's awesome. Think of how our world would be different if we went around and just built people up with our words. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is about. 
And you know, the opposite picture of the middle school walking alone and everyone else huddled up in their groups is Jesus. He is our prophet. And you know what? It says about Jesus that he came to seek and save the lost. He didn't just leave his little clique and go find that person walking around the room. He left heaven and he came down for us. And now if you know him, he prays for you. Think of how he encourages you. As we go into this Holy Week, I can't wait for us to encounter Jesus and to reflect on on Jesus and how we as a church can be more like him. Let's pray together. Jesus, my prayer for us is that this church would be a house-building church, that this church would be a place of encouragement. I pray that this would be a place of healing, that as people come in, they would experience the love, the encouragement, the grace of Jesus. And I pray that this week, Lord, you would help us to reflect on you, that you would transform us, that you would speak to us. Lord, we need encouragement. We need your ministry of encouragement to us. So as we sing about the gospel, the good news of how you laid down your life for us, you left everything to save us. Build us up in Jesus' name.